This is Anthony Arino, and you're listening to In the Arena. I spent four or five years in Toastmasters learning how to speak professionally. It was a transformational experience for me, and I'd always had the confidence to stand up and speak, having spent most of my young adult life fronting a rock and roll band and playing in bars before I was even old enough to be in those bars. But a couple of years ago, after I was already speaking professionally, Michael Port, a speaker who I was familiar with but didn't really know, launched a program in what I will call here his life's work. This program was called Heroic Public Speaking, and one of the first videos Michael sent out to promote the program was a list of 50 common mistakes that speakers make. And I took a look at the video and I downloaded the PDF that came with it. And then I saw the first rule, don't point at people. Guilty as charged. Instead, you're supposed to gesture with your hand. Who knew this? I didn't know this. I'd never even heard such a thing before. When someone introduces you, start speaking immediately. The audience is already looking at you and the show has already begun. So the last speech that I gave before watching Michael and his wife Amy Port's first video required me to walk about 30 yards to the center of a massive stage. And I did so in this awkward, awful, uncomfortable silence. And it wasn't only awful for me having to walk all that distance in silence. It was awful for the audience. It was terrible. I didn't know that no matter where you are, you start speaking, but I learned that. And I thought, this is what's on the free videos. What in God's name is in the program? This is great content. So if you've never seen Michael speak, you've never seen a preternatural speaker who can give you an experience like none you have ever seen. I promise you that. It's amazing to watch Michael speak. And if you want to be a great speaker, you're going to want to work with Michael and Amy Port. And you have an opportunity to do that now at Heroic Public Speaking. You're going to learn how to perform and you're going to be transformed. You're also going to massively upgrade your content and you're going to learn the business of speaking. There is no better speaking program anywhere on earth, and there are no two better teachers. So go now to heroicpublicspeaking.com forward slash live and sign up for the October 31st Heroic Public Speaking in Fort Lauderdale. You're going to meet amazing people. You're going to have an amazing experience. You're going to be transformed, and you're going to be the best speaker that you can possibly be, and Michael and Amy will make sure of that. Don't miss it. I am an enormous fan of the social tools. I love LinkedIn, I love Facebook, and I mostly love Twitter, even though Twitter doesn't get any love at all anymore, and mostly it's been abandoned and automated. In 2014, I met Jamie Shanks of Sales for Life at Dreamforce, and we had a conversation about social selling, and we had a conversation about all things sales, and I found him to be an interesting guy, a really smart guy, and a Canadian guy, and Canadians are so nice, and Jamie is one of them. 
But recently, he and I have spent more time talking to each other. We've spent more time communicating on email, and we even did a live webinar that I thought was one of the best webinars I've been involved in this year, and I thought we both shared amazing ideas together about how you need to share content if you're going to use the social tools to create opportunities, and that's what it's for. I invited Jamie into the arena to talk about his new book, Social Selling Mastery, and to talk about some areas where I wanted to push and see exactly what he believed and where he stood on things like cold calling, which turns out to be a really interesting and an insightful conversation with one of the only honest people to talk about social selling. So welcome into the arena, Jamie Shanks. Hey, Jamie, how are you? Fantastic, Anthony. Thanks for having me on. And so a total change of plans. You are where right now? I am going southbound on Highway 404 into Toronto, Canada. See this? You can do this anywhere, anytime, can't you? Absolutely. Through the magic (laughs) of technology. And we discovered that you were listening to Oasis on the way in, rocking it out, even though not quite heavy enough for me, but good enough start for the day. Yeah, you know, I'm driving into the sun, and I feel refreshed today for some reason, even with only five hours sleep, so a little oasis help. Five hours, that's too little. Let me start by saying, first off, your new book, Social Selling Mastery, is a really good book, and it wasn't at all what I was expecting. It is way more tactical than I was expecting, and there's a lot of hype about social selling, and you know my feeling that hasn't lived up to its promise. Not that I disagree with the principles that just, in my experience, hasn't lived up to the promise when it comes to creating new opportunities. But I think this is the first book, well, it is the first book that I've seen that operationalizes social selling for the organization. And what my complaint has been is that it doesn't start in the right spot. So you're the first person that I've seen to do this work. And if you're not, I don't know who is. But Tell me why you started the book by explaining all the roles and the duties of sales and marketing leadership, instead of just starting at the point, you need to be on Twitter, and if you tweet like the devil, the business will follow. (laughs) There's basically two parts to the inspiration. The first, I mean, I had a big, fat, hairy, audacious goal. You look at Neil Rackham's spin selling, and people accused him of putting his business in a book and giving away too much intellectual property. But what it did was it armed people to be dangerous and help them with their business and an ultimately accelerated Hathaway consulting firm. Mm -hmm. So that was an inspiration part A. But part B is since I started my business January 4th, 2010, and really got heavily involved in social in 2012, there's been a lot of great books. There's a lot of the why social selling. There's a lot of what do you as an individual sales professional do But that's still random acts of social. If you work at a global enterprise company, there are multiple stakeholders, and we call them the three amigos. There's VPs of sales, there's VPs of marketing, there's VPs of sales enablement and operations. And if they're not working in unison, it's just random acts of social. And it doesn't move the needle for the total ecosystem of the business the way that the shareholders, the customers, the CEO needs it to move. And that's why I needed to create a book around what we do, which is scaling social selling. Well, it's interesting because you start, in my opinion, at the right point, because change happens when 
I wrote a post last night about managerial will. I mean, it, it starts when the leadership team is committed and when the leadership team is willing to invest in that commitment. So they're investing the time, the resources, the money, their energy to make something happen. And I haven't seen anyone do this with social yet. And it's been a big complaint of mine is that we tell salespeople to go out and be social and do these things and go ahead and start generating new opportunities using this toolkit, but then they're unarmed to do so. So let me ask you a couple questions. For me, selling is really about three things. It's about conversations around value and what future states are supposed to be. It's about creating a preference for you, for your company, and for your solution. And it's about commitment gaining. And the part that's missing for social, for me, and what makes me believe it's above the funnel more than the selling part of this is tell me about the commitment gaining part on social and how you do that without looking really, really bad doing it. Because anytime I see people try to use the social tools to just straight make an ask, it comes across horrible. And I'm going to disclose some of my personal responses to these because on LinkedIn, I get people who are sending me a pitch every day without ever meeting me, without ever connecting with me. So that's the social part I get. But when they straight pitch me, I'm just sending them to my book site. I'm just straight pitching them back. So I figure if you pitch me, I'm allowed to just pitch you because that's the nature of our relationship. So I ignore their pitch and send them to the pre-order site for the book. Tell me about the commitment gaining part on social. I think you're dead right here. The reality of social, my job with social, it's an additive skill set. It's an additive behavioral change that you want to put into your daily cadence. And my job is to take my online conversations and move them offline so that we can have more contextual conversations, which I think are better for commitment, are better pertinent in whether that's the boardroom or in a conference call where it can be highly contextual, much more dynamic. When I look at social, my job is to look at whether it's a named account or multiple accounts and say, I'm going to steal a quote from Jill Rowley here, every deal, every day. So I'm waking up and I'm looking at a named account and I'm thinking, how do I move the ball 10 yards? That's all I'm trying to do. I'm helping them along their customer experience or buying journey, whatever you'd like to call it. And that happens in a routine that we can get into throughout this podcast. We're going, we're reality, going to, we're going to get into yeah, that well, routine because it's important. Okay, yeah, Perfect. But the reality is, and I, and I think that, that I think you hit the nail on the head, the misconception with social even though I'm a quota carrying sales professional, I'm not taking the ball end zone to end zone. What I am doing is it is a communications vehicle. It's a trusted advisory vehicle. You know, it's an insight sharing vehicle that allows me to build enough momentum to take that online conversation offline. Yeah. And it's interesting because the challenge that I've had with social selling, and I've written about it plenty of times, people think I'm antisocial, which I'm not. I just think that we need to have a better outcome and you're getting that better outcome with your company and you're talking about it honestly. You know, there are so many of your peers who say you should never pick up the phone and make a cold call again, which is, in my opinion, criminal negligence. And at the same time, I see other people who believe that they can go without LinkedIn and still succeed at the same level when they're essentially invisible to their community as they're on that buying journey. But it feels to me like the real power is in supplementing prospecting and supplementing personal brand building and supplementing what marketing can't really do. And I'm going to ask you to speak about this for just a minute. From my view, 
the big failure we've had, and you started this conversation talking about it, is marketing has these insights. And most of the insights are about what differentiates us, what makes us better, and it's all why us. But that's not the toolkit that the salesperson needs to go and have the opening part of the conversation when we start talking about real change. The insights that we need are about what are the issues the buyer's facing right now? What are the issues that their company is having? Why do they sense this dissonance where things don't work anymore? And what I've seen is even in big organizations, they've not armed the sales team to do the work on social to actually begin this conversation of here's why you have to change. Here's what happens if you don't change. Here are other changes that people are making and why they're making it to start them down that path. What's your opinion on that? To run an effective social selling ecosystem in any company, whether you have four employees or 40,000 employees, marketing is 50% of the equation. When I mean marketing, I'm really talking about your digital content marketing team, not necessarily product marketing, events marketing, and, and more traditional means. So if it's 50% of the equation, the first thing you have to realize is that marketing is looking at the business holistically in a macro environment. So they're using, they're using the communications vehicles that they have, email campaigns. They have social platforms, which are your corporate branded sites. They have the corporate blog, as an example. But myself as a sales professional that sits in Columbus, Ohio, I have 20 named accounts. The reality is, is the content being written at a macro level doesn't apply to my financial services businesses in Columbus. And so that's the inline challenge. So a sales professional has to recognize marketing is looking at this holistically. I, as a sales professional, need to get contextual with my 20 account. So I have to be very selective of the type of insights I'm grabbing, sharing with them at a very specific time with a very specific buyer to move that particular buyer along the journey. So that's kind of the challenge. Let's talk tactically of what companies can do to improve this. One of the very first things that we have customers do after you've, of course, unified your language by building a consistent buying journey and you've segmented the journey, you said something that was really critical. Most of the content that sales is sharing and marketing is creating is too bottom of the funnel. It's called the who. Think of a buying journey as three segments, the why, the how, and the who. Top of the funnel, middle of the funnel, bottom of the funnel. These are the questions that customers ask themselves. Why should I change? If I buy into that, then how do I change? And then finally, who can help me change? The problem is marketing and sales are building too many case studies and testimonials, which are who. So one of the tactics that can happen is the sales team forms what's called an insights committee. And that's a group of sales professionals that work with marketing to shed light on all the pitfalls, challenges, best practices, market knowledge they're hearing from customers at the top of that funnel, at that why stage. You got to think of you, Anthony, as a CEO, what makes you tick? What keeps you up at night? What are the problems and challenges you face in your recruiting business? And I then think, I try to walk a mile in your shoes and I try to create ideas and insights that would spark intrigue from you. And that's the catalyst of the type of content marketing needs to be creating, taking the intellectual property out of salespeople's minds, which are chalk-filled, but they're not going to write a blog themselves, they give it to marketing and start creating why-level content. And why-level content is what sits on social, not who-level content. 
What I like about that, Jamie, I've written before, and it's most of the knowledge that we need is already within our four walls. We already have smart people. They've already made some discernments about what's going on in the marketplace, what their customers dealing with, what kind of trends are going to impact them in the future. And so you've got all this. It just hasn't been actualized. It's just sitting there in people's skulls and all spread out throughout the whole organization. So this idea of bringing people together and then saying, okay, at each stage of this, I like buying journey. I think the journey psychological and it does start with why do I have to change? But even just approaching that as, okay, what are the root cause issues of the dissonance that they're experiencing right now where things aren't starting to work the way that they used to work? And they're starting to become frustrated and the the workarounds that they've built are no longer workarounds. They're not working. But I think that's a really important point that's missed is that you probably have all this knowledge and you could easily get it if you would just get people in a room together and ask them to share all their insights. I've got a quick story as an analogy to this. So I was 25 years old. I'd started my, I just finished MBA school. I just started my really first sales job was in corporate real estate. And I remember I was scared out of my mind talking to CFOs and CEOs in the local Toronto market because I would say to our CEO, I don't know anything. I don't know what I'm talking about. And our CEO sat me down. This is the end of my first year. And he said, how many real estate transactions have you done this year? I said, I've done about 15 or 16. He said, the average chief financial officer does one major real estate transaction in their entire career. You've already done 15 more. The knowledge you have around the best practices of finding corporate space is 15 times larger than that person. And that's a simple analogy because your own sales professionals every day are hearing dozens of objections, pitfalls, challenges, what-if scenarios, that if they could take that knowledge and give it to marketing, marketing doesn't need to make up content. Marketing just needs to pick the brains of the people that are dealing with the customers. And they know it. Let me move us into building your personal brand. And I want to talk about the four-step model you outlined. Actually, I want you to talk about that. But without me um, trying to be adversarial here, I do want to challenge you on a couple ideas. First, in a lot of industries, buyers aren't leaving any kind of trail of clues that you can pick up as a rep. They're quiet. They're not yet fully out there on social sharing themselves. They're there, but they're not sharing. So it's difficult to pick up the insights that you could use. And then the second thing, as you talk about this four-step model, we've already talked about a little bit, but there are a lot of salespeople who work for organizations where they're not being provided with any content at all. And if you could speak to what do you do if you're in that kind of a situation now, that would be helpful, I think, for people listening who don't work for a big company, but work for a small company that doesn't yet develop that kind of content. So this is a great conversation yesterday. So we're training ADP's inside sales division and ADP has a micro segment. So sales professionals that are dealing with companies with 20 employees or less. And one of the major challenges is that the CEOs, the VPs of human resources, you know, even if they have a human resources department at a company that size are not on LinkedIn as an example, but This is the difference between random acts of social and kind of social selling mastery. What I'd like you to do is think of three circles, one larger than the other, one inside of the other. 
And my job as a sales professional is to socially surround the ecosystem of the customer, not just the person that works there. So the small circle, as an example, is Anthony. And Anthony is the CEO of that recruiting company. But if I can't find information on Anthony on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Google, I move to the next circle, which is a little bit larger, which is around his company itself. So I'm on Glassdoor. I'm on Owler. I'm using anything I can to learn about his sphere of influence, which is the next level to him, which is his company. And then I need to move to Anthony's third level of sphere of influence, which is the ecosystem of the recruitment business. So now all of a sudden, I've maybe created a Feedly account where I'm tagging recruiting blogs so I can learn and contextualize my conversation to the macro environment that's happening in Ohio around the recruiting business. I want to see him when I talk to Anthony that I've worked a mile in his shoes, that I understand the recruitment business as an example. So I hope this answers your question, Anthony. I think where people get hung up is they'll look at it and say, well, Anthony's not on LinkedIn. Anthony might not be, but other employees are. His company has data on other sites, Glassdoor being one of them as an example. And then ultimately, I need to learn the recruiting business, talent management, employment statistics. I use any of this information to have better conversations with customers. So that's socially surrounding an account. And that fits within the second part of your question, which is around the four-step dance. The four-step dance is called the feed routine. And it stands for find, educate, engage, and develop. So Anthony's business is my named account. Every single day, every single deal I'm looking at, I'm thinking, okay, I need to find decision makers, champions, and influencers and socially surround that account. That's step one. Step two, I need to educate myself and arm myself to be dangerous in conversation and or then educate Anthony, which is part of engage. I engage in a conversation. I love to lead with insights. I'm going to share data and information that could push Anthony off his status quo. And then finally, I'm going to continue to develop my network. And that doesn't just mean Anthony, because Anthony might not be on LinkedIn. Anthony is influenced by other analysts and thought leaders in his space. So I'm going to do influencer marketing as an example. I'm going to connect with the people Anthony reads about, the recruiting best practices, industry experts, the analysts that talk about recruiting. And I'm going to get into their ecosystem because if they start sharing what I'm doing, Anthony will eventually take notice. And that four-step dance is done in under 30 to 60 minutes a day. And if you can do that in under 30, 60 minutes a day, you have the rest of your day to do your other sales processes or tactics or whatever you need to do, and it doesn't detract from it. And so when you're doing it at a mastery level, you can pinpoint an account and think naturally through find, educate, engage, develop to move the ball five to 10 yards every day. It's not about touchdowns every single day. It's about moving first down, move the chain. Sounds like hard work, Jamie, and it sounds like prospecting. I, I, you know, even I were talking about this yesterday. I'm listening to Jeb Blunt's fanatical prospecting, and he, oh man, it, it was even a wake up call to myself and my own business. And I looked objectively on the drive home. I was thinking, are we really building the pipe as strong as we should be? Because pipe cures everything. It honestly does. And Jeb's right. It will inoculate you from lots of bad things that can happen. There's no doubt about it. Lost deals, lost clients. The pipe is everything. 
which is why we focus so much. You know, I want to uh, just comment on something you said. So I think that I like this idea of socially surrounding, but I think it's the salesperson and their leader's responsibility to learn their client's business uh, the way that you described it. And even though you may not be able to pick up insights from an individual or individuals inside a target company, you can certainly find out what's going on in their industry by reading about it and picking up the Wall Street Journal, the Financial Times, the New York Times, just going out and setting up a Feedly account and then just stacking that with any kind of content where you're going to start picking up what the conversation sounds like. So it may not be that particular client. And there are some, and I would say probably still too many, where if you go out and look at the CEO's LinkedIn profile, it doesn't even have a picture. It just has their name and it says CEO, and then there's no history. And it's because somebody said you have to be on LinkedIn. And so that's the commitment they made is now they're there, but you can't see anything. But the insight you need, though, to educate yourself, that's all out there already. There's no question about that. And then for you to get the insight to share with others, you can get that. That's just a matter of having the will and the discipline to go out and do the work to pick up the information you need to be able to share. If there's one statistic that I think has moved the needle for myself personally, it's a joint venture between Forrester and Corporate Visions that it found that 74% of deals were awarded to sales professionals because they were the first to provide real value and insight in the deal. And basically what they had done is shape the buying journey. If you've ever seen the movie Inception with Leonardo DiCaprio, it's the concept of planting the seed. And I'm the type of person now that I now that I understand it, if I had a chance, you know, if I was in an RFP situation to present first, second, or third, I'm always going first because I want to plant the landmines, the pitfalls, the challenges. And I think that's a huge opportunity for people to genuinely help other people teach them something new. They may not buy today, but three months from now, six months from now, they're going to think, my God, that Jamie guy, I remember he was telling me something really useful. I got to call him back. I just pick his brain right now. It's so interesting that the statistics that you get from CEB and Forrester, 57% through the buying journey, which I don't even really know what that means. I mean, where exactly is the line of demarcation where you go from 57 to what's left? And then you talk about the 74%, but I I like corporate vision's work there. And what's interesting to me is that so many people in your field use the 57% to say cold calling doesn't work when cold calling is, in fact, the fastest way to get there first. And while other people are spending time doing other things, if you get there first, you do have that shot. I know that you guys don't believe that the phone is an irrelevant tool and that it is part of the mix. But it it is about getting there and then shaping the conversation around what is value and what does change look like. Well, actually, let me just ensure that I correct a a misconception I think that people may have about my business. My industry, let's actually talk about the macro environment with the cold call. The reality is a great content marketer understands one thing, that to create awareness, especially influencer marketing, you need to pick a fight. You need a joker to your Batman. And so when we started this business, our joker was going to be cold calling sucks because it was an easy target and it was an incredible way to create awareness and intrigue and get people having visceral reactions, you know, brand salience against their belief of cold calling or not cold calling. But the reality is, is the phone will always be part of the mix. I have an outbound SDR team. I have an inbound SDR team. They're on the phone all day long. The difference is they're leveraging 
the buyer's content consumption story. So they're digital fingerprints that are happening within marketing automation to have highly contextual conversations. They're saying to the customer, you just read this article, but you haven't checked this out. Or we're doing spot content audits on sales teams and saying, Mr. VP of sales, did you know of the hundred sales professionals that report to you, only 14% of them have shared any insights in the last 30 days to their team on LinkedIn. So the misconception is it's not that we don't use the phone. It's that we use it very differently. Smarter. And, and I, yeah, smarter. And I was just, I'm just listening to Jeb's book at Fanatical Prospecting. And he, he hits the nail on the head. He's like, people are arguing the variance of cold in cold calling, like the actual temperature of cold. And he's right. The reality is phone must happen, but how you use it, whatever you want to call it, corn, warm, lukewarm, scalding, hot, the reality is it's part of our communications toolkit, but you can use it a whole lot smarter than most people are doing. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I want to move us into LinkedIn, but I'm just thinking about when I started selling, information was so difficult to find. And now information is so easy to find. And people say, I don't really know what I'm going to do. And I'm like, you know, I used to have to scour newspapers and business journals trying to find any kind of insight about an individual. And most of the time there was nothing there, but now it's all in your hands. So I want to, I'll use that to segue into LinkedIn. I see profiles in our field that are essentially what I would call a digital resume. I mean, it's the same thing that would be on a paper resume. There's nothing more. So I want to ask you how you improve them. And then second, I just want to question a decision that you made in the book that I found somewhat disturbing. And it was the example of the picture that you used of a good LinkedIn profile picture on page 65. <laughs> that, I think that's, isn't, that, isn't that mine? <laughs> I think it is. Yeah. You couldn't have found a better <laughs> example. Oh, I should have used my wife, at least worth looking at. I know, but let's come back to the, you as a sales professional and the way that you look at your profile, forget that. I think the first most important piece, forget the tactics of changing the buttons and moving things around. The most important piece is your mindset as to why am I using this tool? And what I think people need to do is switch their mindset to say, I'm a digital newspaper. I'm a brand within a brand. And so, Anthony, if you owned a newspaper in Columbus, how do you grow? I would grow it the same way you're growing your business. I would get it in front of people. Yeah. A newspaper grows through subscribership, right? So right. if you look at you as a person, as a brand, and say, okay, I'm going to create something that is buyer-centric, customer-centric, and I'm going to grow it like a newspaper. And so I'm going to share things on it. I'm going to connect with people so that the more people that I've added into this ecosystem or network can like, comment, and share what I do, can help me go viral, can connect me to other people. So the mindset of what is the purpose of this thing, once you understand that it is not a means of getting your next job, so it's not a resume, that if your buyer was a recruiter, then build it as if you're trying to shine to a recruiter. That's not my buyer. My buyer is guys like Anthony who lead companies. So I need to create a profile that Anthony could read and can make sense of and say, this person is at least somebody I want to return that guy's voicemail. Or he's emailed me 14 times. Maybe I'll actually get back to him. And it's just a portal of trust. You know, and, what's interesting LinkedIn, about what you're saying yeah. here, though, is that LinkedIn did start as a network tool where it was your digital resume. They did not yeah, start absolutely. with a social selling concept at all. 
they started with, this is going to be a place where you connect and you refer each other and people are able to connect people. Yeah, that's how I got on LinkedIn. I needed a job. Yeah. <laughs> In reality, but it evolved to be your microsite. Yeah. And so the challenge here is if you're trying to grow your newspaper or your brand, you have to publish. So you have to get in front of people. And I see a lot of LinkedIn where there's really not a lot happening there. Yeah. And, the, and, yeah, that, and, and that's the opportunity uh, and the opportunity. And it doesn't mean that the sales professionals need to create their own content because that's not reality at a scaled up mid-market or enterprise company, but they can leverage the existing insights created by marketing to at least have content on that newspaper that they've created, which is, you know, their LinkedIn profile. Plus, if they're not a content creator, I don't like the idea of curating as much as I like synthesizing, because I think that that needs to change. There are a lot of people who I think think that curation of just sharing the link with no added insight or comment as to why it's important is okay. And I think really, if you're going to try to build a brand on LinkedIn, if you pull the Wall Street Journal article off, and you share it, you write some commentary on, I think this is critically important because it leads to this conclusion. So people know why they're reading what you're sharing. Give me your thoughts on that. Absolutely. And that's a second level that, frankly, I would say, give or take 10 to 20%, you know, the Pareto law of sales professionals are willing to take the time. The challenge of you were to ask a sales professional why they're not sharing content their biggest response universally would be, I don't have time. Well, I don't have time in sales is code for, I don't see value. And once you can empirically show sales professionals that content and insights are actually leading to more customer conversations through the demand gen funnel or through bluebirds that are flying in through whatever or, or making people feel more comfortable with you as a trusted advisor, then I think that they'll take more time crafting and synthesizing, as you call it, and adding quips to content that they're curating. Personally, Anthony, I agree 100%. That is absolutely what you need to be doing. But until you can convince the sales professionals that return on effort is going to help them, you're going to have the level 100, which is raw laziness. Click, share, click, share. Yeah. And I think that that's the thing. So I, I'm saying this because I wanted to get your feedback on this and I want to sort of lead people that are listening to this. Okay. So you're not a content creator. Fine. But you are studying your industry. You're studying your client's industry. You're studying the trends. And so you're reading for a half hour a day and you're finding two articles a week that you can comment on and share. And then all of a sudden you're not the person who's actually developing the content. You're the person that's looking out and saying, here's the big themes that you need to think about. When we talk about why you're having the challenges, here are the indicators that tell you this is the root cause, so you need to start looking. And that's the person who, in my mind, becomes relevant. It's not always... I mean, even if you look at people like Mary Meeker, you know, all that research comes from all these disparate sources, right? And she's the person that synthesizes it and says, here's what it all means. And that's a really valuable place to hold as a salesperson, in my view. When I started this business, I had two sales strategies. And one of those sales strategies was I wasn't able to create content. I didn't even really fully grasp and understand content marketing. So what I did is went on Twitter and made a Twitter list of the top sales influencers. And all I did was read their content, share their insights, but with my take and spin on it. And 
those influencers took notice because I'm, you know, reposting, but adding value to what they've already written, adding me to their ecosystem and then started promoting what I was doing. I still had not created a stick of content or an original thought. All I had, I mean, I had an original thought, which was my spin on their thoughts, but and to your point, I mean, that got me started in a market. And whatever market you're in, there are rock stars in the medical device industry or the financial services. And you can align with those people who are writing the best of breed insights and add your personal take and flair or observations to it to be contextual. Let me just ask one final question here. For my money, LinkedIn is the platform. Do you agree with that? Or do you think there are other social tools that reps should pay equal attention to? So I actually am starting to see tools evolve based on the roles and functions within your sales ecosystem. So LinkedIn, incredible as a prospecting and nurturing of named accounts. And it will work for, you know, inside sales, field sales, channel sales, customer success. But I'm seeing Facebook emerge as an amazing customer success only, a customer success tool. Let's think about the reason why. Anthony's a customer of mine. I connect with it after we've started the engagement. We start to develop a personal relationship. Anthony, do you mind? I'm going to connect with you on Facebook. I connect with Anthony on Facebook and I see his life in Columbus, his kids, his love for music. I get to learn a lot about Anthony, but it's being reciprocated. He's seeing my kids, our cottage. You know, I'm rebuilding a 78 Chev half ton. He gets to learn about me. I started doing this about two years ago. And the relationships that we have with our customers, and please, anyone in the audience, don't use the excuse, well, he's in a consulting firm or a service-based business. We're now seeing customers do this at technology companies. The relationship you now have with your customer is so different. You're having almost that European level connection with people where you start talking friends and family and personal before you get down to business. And it's been incredible, that transformation of the trust and relationships we now have with customers because of Facebook. Thank you for coming on to share this. The book is called Social Selling Mastery, Scaling Up Your Sales and Marketing Machine for the Digital Buyer. And Jamie, you know what a skeptic I am about a lot of stuff like this. You've done a terrific job giving people a real blueprint for how to operationalize this idea of social selling. So it's a really, really good piece of work, and I'm going to highly recommend it. Thank you so much, Anthony. Thanks for coming on, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. You take care. In this outro, I want to take just a minute and talk about Jamie's book. I did not expect to like Social Selling Mastery as much as I did. I think it's a tremendous book for leaders. I think it's a tremendous book for people in marketing and for people in sales enablement who are charged with arming the sales force with what they need to go out and to create opportunities and to succeed. It should be picked up. You should read it. It is an exceptionally good manual. And I like the action orientation because that's my bias. That was Jamie Shanks. You can find him at Sales for Life. We'll put his LinkedIn profile and his Twitter handle in the show notes so you can find him there. I am Anthony Anarino, and you can find me at thesalesblog.com. You can also find me at youtube.com forward slash Anarino. And right now you can find me at preorder.theonlysalesguide you'll ever need, which will be released by Portfolio on October 11th, 2016. Do go to preorder.theonlysalesguide.com 
to find bonuses and workbooks and videos and other things to help you raise your game. Until then, I'm Anthony Anarino, and I will see you next time in the arena. There's no way we're getting out of this podcast without me pitching my new book, The Only Sales Guide You'll Ever Need, being published by Portfolio on October 11th, 2016. Right now, I've done something that no one else has ever done. I've delivered a package of bulk buy bonuses for you that are actual value, that have never been delivered before, and that are going to help you transform your own personal results and the results of your team. And I want to take 30 seconds and tell you what is inside the book. Inside the book is two sections. One section is about mindset. So it's about behaviors and beliefs and attitudes. And the second half of the book is skills. And what this is essentially is a deficiency model. So any area where you might need to improve to succeed in sales is in this book. Maybe it's your discipline. Maybe it's your attitude. Maybe it's your resourcefulness. Maybe you need help closing. Maybe you need help prospecting or developing your business acumen. It's all in there. So right now, go to preorder.theonlysalesguide.com and you're going to be able to download a couple chapters. In one of those chapters, you're going to find the table of contents, which will describe to you all of the attributes and all of the skills you need to succeed in sales now. This book will make you better. This book will help you grow. This book will help you develop into a trusted advisor, a consultative salesperson, and somebody who wins new business. So go check it out, preorder.theonlysalesguide.com. Look for the bonuses and do send me a note and let me know how you like the book. Go pick up the book now. I promise you're going to love it and you're going to be transformed. Audio editing and show notes by podcastfasttrack.com. Get 15% off your first month by mentioning this show.